Okay, welcome uh, Wednesday Night Bible Study. Acts of the Apostles, part 17, will be in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. We are uh, historically in Paul's, uh, the last part of Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, we're going to go through uh, a couple years of history tonight. But uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you again for this time, Lord, and bringing us together. We thank you for those that are here on the way, could make it. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you minister to us where we're at, Lord. And we thank you for the uh, opportunity to um, broadcast this on a podcast, Lord. So we just thank you for those that are listening whenever they listen, whether it's uh, tonight, tomorrow, or two years from now. Lord, we just thank you that your spirit is there to uh, teach and guide us as we go. So, Father, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. You can always tell Dodger fans when they come in late. That's it again. We just started. You didn't miss anything. We're not going to leave early, though. No, okay. Not in the seventh inning. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're in Paul's third missionary journey. He's up over here in Macedonia, up by Philippi. He's going to be coming over here to Trojas, and then over here on his way back to Jerusalem. He's in a hurry to kind of get back to Jerusalem, and we're going to, we're going to pick that story up tonight. So, Acts 19, verse 11 to 20, we'll read it, and then we'll... Uh, Discuss it. Verse 11. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Uh, and seven sons of, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And an evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Uh, miracles at Ephesus. These miracles that happened there in the beginning are very similar to Peter's miracles in Acts chapter 15 verses 15 and 16, almost something very similar uh, happens. And by the way, um, there's no 
we don't know exactly what was going on with the handkerchiefs and the aprons and stuff. Some of it, uh, some commentaries kind of say, well, they might have been taking uh, the handkerchiefs or the cloth that was on Paul as he was working and just taking it. Uh, you know, there were, this wasn't something that he was doing. There is no power associated to the handkerchiefs or the aprons. There's also nothing in Scripture that shows that this is to happen today. This is kind of a, like a, a two-time uh, occurrence that happened with Peter. It happened with uh, Paul here. And that uh, people were being healed by that. It says, verse 12, So the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But again, there's no basis for people doing this today. Okay, so that's just something that God was doing then. The second thing that's going on there is the occult, occultism. Uh, one of the main themes in Acts is Christ's victory over the occult. In other words, all the idol worshippers and the sorcerers and the, and the witchcraft. Uh, this is what he's having to deal with. This is what the church is having to deal with and overcome. And uh, so uh, that's, that's one of the underlying lining things wherever you go. Because again, in all of these areas up in here, as soon as they leave here and they start going, the more up they go into Asia in this way, and, and especially over in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and all that, all oh, this is heavy idol worship and fertility cults and all kinds of stuff like that that they're having to deal with. Ephesus is right there. And so they're having to deal with all that. But what you have is showing that God's power oversees uh, their power. Then you have these seven sons of Siva. Siva was a Jewish high priest. And his seven sons may have gone into the occult. That's kind of what it sounds like. Because they're trying to cast something out of this man. And, and the demon says... Well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So it's like, you know, you, you have no authority, you are, you're, you're nothing, and then, then he overpowers them to the point that they are uh, 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 subdued, overpowered, uh, wounded, and, and naked in the house. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, again, showing you, you can't manipulate the name of Christ. You can't use it for your own gain. It's not going to work. And chase a rabbit with that. It's like scripture. Scripture doesn't work out of its context. So if you try and apply scripture out of its context, it has no power. So the, the point here is that sometimes when you take a scripture from this book, a scripture from this letter, a scripture over here, and you tie them all together and you try to put a sermon together there, unless you're doing a topical study, uh, but if you're just trying to make a point, you're taking everything out of context. It's like if you read a book, chapter 1 doesn't necessarily relate to chapter 4. Chapter 4 doesn't necessarily relate to chapter 15. And so when you're pulling those verses out of there and putting them together, yeah, it makes what says what you want it to say, but there's no authority there. There's no power there. The power of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, is in the context in which it's given. So again, here, the authority to cast out in the name of Jesus is given to who? Believers. Right? 
These guys were not believers, so therefore it didn't work for them. And then to the point that it shows a worst-case scenario here, that they were overpowered by the demon. Again, scripture out of context does not work. And this is something the church has to be very aware of, because when you start doing things out of context, you know, um, that's a slippery slope. You don't want to go down that that road. And, and uh, by the way, um, you ever heard of Kabbalah? K-A-B-A-L-A? Kabbalah? It's Jewish mysticism. And it kind of came up around this time. And what it is, it takes some of the Old Testament, it takes some of the rabbis' teaching, it takes some of the philosophy and Gnosticism and all this stuff, and it scrambles it all together, and it comes up with some goofy stuff. And it's, uh, uh, but people that are involved in it, in Kabbalah, uh, they hold it as, as, um, as reverently as they do, as, as we do the Bible. But it's mysticism, and it's, it's really off, it's rocker. It, it, it doesn't even, um, you can Google it if you, if, if you want to. Look on Wiki, Wikipedia. Google it and go on Wikipedia and it'll, it'll show you what, what they believe and stuff. They don't even necessarily believe in one God. And that's one of the main tenets of Judaism is one God. Christianity, one God. They don't even believe in that. And uh, so uh, just a lot of crazy things there. I read one time, I, I forgot where I read it, but uh, do you ever wonder where the word radio comes from? Why do we use the word radio? And I remember when I was a kid. When I was a kid, let's see, how old is everybody here? Okay, you're all, everybody so Sophia will get this. Remember what they used to show when we, when we were kids? And, and, a, and a radio was uh, was broadcasting yeah. off, the, off the tower to, to, to the receiver. You, know, you would get that, you know, RCA or whatever the heck it was. In Kabbalah, they have a section there uh, where they believe that there's spirits, and spirits are out in the deep, in the vast expanse, you know, planets somewhere way out, and they believe that there are signals being sent. And if you're in the right place, at the right time, and if you're enlightened, you can receive these signals. Okay? Well, one of the places that the signals come from is called Radio. <laughs> I know, useless information, but it's, it's in my brain, so I thought I would share it. But I just say that to show you how all this stuff gets, you know, in there. But by the way, you ever wonder why the planets are named after Roman gods? And then our radio is after stuff like this, you know. And, and uh, by the way, the... Uh, the the people that worked on the radio at the very beginning, uh, putting radio together, were Jewish. So, goes to show you. The end part of this, it says, uh, verse 18, Many also of those who believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. So in other words, they were coming to faith, and they were disclosing, in a sense, repenting of their occultism of their sorcery and, and all these things. And it says, And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them 
in the sight of all. And he counted up all the price of all of them, found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So in other words, people were repenting and getting rid of their sorcery books. Okay? So again, uh, Christ is overpowering the demonic. Christ is overpowering uh, uh, evil. You know, Christ is overpowering the occult. Thoughts, questions on that? Yeah. Is that where the book burning thing, like, you know, in the World War II, started book burning? Is that kind of where they get it from? No, I don't think so. Um, people, people, I think your wife would probably talk this better, the history teacher, but certain countries and certain rulers and stuff will try and change history by burning books, by burning education, by burning the the, uh, the history of a, of a people. So, so some of that kind of came out of that. Oh, okay. uh, and so, you know, you're, you're actually trying to uh, erase, you know, uh, what, what people believe, what people think of. But um, I'm trying to think of the earliest references of this kind of stuff. I think that this this was around it's this it's this period of time. I mean, you know, you you would burn stuff rightly or wrongly uh, in the name of whatever your god was. You know, you have to get rid of that, so you you burn it. And so, uh, uh, so yeah. So I, th- I think World War II stuff was more in the way of, of trying to erase a people's history. Yeah, I could be could be wrong on that. But any other questions? Yeah. Not a question, but. I find it interesting that the money that was made from evil things, the books that they sold, was used for spreading the gospel. Is that what this is saying? They were trying to manipulate the gospel for their own gain. Mm-hmm. And so what any cult that you have nowadays, they all use the same thing. And that's Jesus. They say Jesus, and, and so people that don't know better, they think it might be Christianity, or they've heard of Jesus, and so they follow it, but they mix it with all kinds of other stuff. And so that's what's going on here. And in Acts, you have that quite a bit. Uh, because again, you know, uh, for, for their own personal gain, and we're going to read right here why, why this is happening, and it is for personal gain. So, yeah. People will, will, um, people will use whatever is popular, whatever is 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 going on, and then pollute it for their own gain. But in this case, you know, it's God, so you know, there's going to be judgment on that. She asked about the um, the fifty thousand pieces of silver. What about that? It was she. I think it was that you thought it was being used for God's work, but I think oh, it's just a calculation. It, 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 yeah, it, it doesn't say it, it came, so I'm, I'm assuming they. It's just what it's worth. Yeah, that's, that's what they used it for, but there's no reference that says where it went and, and how they did it. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for clearing that up for me. Okay, anything else? Verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia saying after I have been there I must also see Rome 
and having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So one of the things we get here is, I must see Rome. Paul wants to go to Rome, because Rome is where everything is coming from. Rome is the center of, of the kingdom there, the Roman Empire. Paul wants to go to Rome. Paul wants to get people saved. Paul, Paul is, is, is uh, he knows that's, that's the place where you want to go. These places that he's gone to here is Ephesus and Corinth and whatever, you know, as well as they are and as, as prosperous as they are are nothing compared to uh, Rome. So, uh, you know, because if you can get to Rome, then you can get to Caesar. Yeah. During the Roman Empire. Okay. Yeah, during the Roman Empire. Yeah. And by the way, the Roman Empire will continue to be a major force for another 400 years. So uh, that's why Christianity is not an official religion until about the year three, 324. And in 324, um, there's a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. And uh, a few years earlier, he was battling. Uh, I forget who it was he, was he was fighting. But he noticed that his Christian soldiers, those that claimed to be Christian, were very strong fighters. They were very good warriors. And so he decided, well, I'm going to take the symbol that they carry, and he put the cross on the on his shields, and he put crosses on their spears. And so he had a big battle coming up, and guess what? He won a huge victory. So what, what, what do ignorant Caesars and kings do with this? I now declare, you are all Christian. So he literally demands that the Roman Empire become Christian. Constantine. You can look him up. Google him. Emperor Constantine. Uh, he was in power from about 306 to 330, something like that. There's no real evidence that he actually fully converted. Some people say he did. Some people say, well, maybe at the end of his life. But while he was doing all this, no. But what that did for Christianity was now Christianity becomes an official religion. So now you can buy and sell property. We can, we can put up churches. We can have buildings. We're not going to be thrown to the lions or any of that stuff anymore. We're official. So, But then right after that, not long after that, um, the Roman Empire starts going down and then you go into the Dark Ages and, and all that stuff and Christianity has a hard time but it becomes an official religion so for the first 300 years we're not an official religion that's why we're meeting in homes and different places and there's a lot of persecution so becoming an official religion stops not all but some of the persecution that uh, goes on okay so Paul wants to evangelize Rome. He even wants to, uh, there's some thought that he even wanted to go as far up as, as Spain. Uh, and eventually he's going to go to Rome. We're going to read about it in a couple weeks. But he's going to go to Rome as a, as a prisoner. So he will make it to Rome, but not quite the way he wants to. But he will still be evangelizing, even though he's under house arrest. He spends about five, six years under house arrest in Rome, by the way. We'll, we'll get to that. So, verse 23. 
And about the time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. Remember last week we talked about early early church was called the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes we refer to as Nazarenes because we follow Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Christians uh, was, uh, uh, was used, the term Christian was used in Antioch first, and it eventually spread else, elsewhere uh, as identity, because again, it wasn't really important to have a, an identity, a name that you could put on, on your building, because you didn't have a building, and you had to meet in secret. So this is why here, where they were relatively free in Antioch, uh, they were known as Christians, and that began to spread throughout uh, the empire. Uh, let's see. There was a disturbance concerning the way. In other words, a disturbance concerning the church. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was, bragging, was bringing no little business to craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that your prosperity depends on this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in most of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage. They began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So, what's going on here is that cult worship and worship of Artemis, which was uh, also the uh, the Roman goddess Diana, same person, same name, they were um, um, now, um, their business was going down because Paul was coming in and Paul was saying, all these little things that you're worshiping, all these little household idols and all these things that you have, they're they're made by man and they're worthless. You know, and so now their business was going down and to Juicy's question, you know, about, you know, were they using, you know, this stuff. Uh, the the church was the one who was receiving from that because, you know, the, the 50,000 pieces of silver and stuff, but the church was stopping now this whole business that was around uh, uh, idol worship. And so... This got them very upset. And here what you have is something different. Now you don't have necessarily unbelievers or Jews coming against the church. You have craftsmen. You have business people. This is a business uprising against the church because it's affecting their business. It's not For them, it's not a theological issue. It's commerce. It's money. It's, it's our living. You know, rather than hearing what he's saying and maybe turning their business into something that glorified God, they wanted to keep their business as it is. And so what ends up with all of this in verse 28, Great is Artemis 
uh, of the Ephesians. In other words, great is, is the goddess Diana. It was for fertility cult. So, the, so now this is going out. If you kind of picture the riots in the streets today in downtown LA and stuff like that, probably something similar was going on there, you know. Only it wasn't quite as, you know, urban <laughs> as it is now. So now confusion is coming in. Verse 29. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord. Let me stop right there. Confusion is always the tool of those who want to upset the standard. Those that want to uh, 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 change what's going on, they bring confusion in. If you look at, not to get political, not take sides one way or the other, if you look at the political campaign and you look at what's going on, you say, this is confusing. Because both sides are bringing, what, confusion so that you don't look at maybe some of the issues. It's confusion. And so uh, that's what goes on in when we have the things that are going on in L.A. and other parts of the country. You know, it creates this confusion because some people are saying, well, we should stop that. And other people are saying, no, we have to let it go. They have the right to protest. They have that. And then other people are just looking at it going like, what is going on? Everything's crazy. It's crazy. It's confusion. 29. And the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him go. Do you get the picture over the last few weeks that, you know, they're, the disciples are very protective of Paul? You know, whenever there's something they want to get him out of, out of the way, you know, they want him to come, they want him to teach, they want him to, to strengthen. But as soon as there's an environment where he could be hurt, boy, they just rally around him and, and get him out, or they don't want him to go. You know, they tell Paul, no, don't go. So, you know, they are, the church is protecting uh, Paul. For verse 30 again. So when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him go. And also some of uh, the Asia arcs. Asia arcs, I bet you've never used the word Asia arc in a sentence before. Asia arcs are basically the people that govern in Asia. They could be governors or vice governors or province officials. They were uh, water district people. <laughs> they were, they were uh, assemblymen. They were uh, city council guys. Uh, that's basically who they were. It says in verse 31, also some of the Asiarchs who were friends, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So again, those, the officials in that area and stuff were telling him, don't go, Paul, don't, don't do it. Please don't do it. Because they, they could probably sense what was going on and they probably realized we can't protect you. You know, and we want to protect you. Uh, let's see. Verse 32. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so there was this confusion, and, then, and now they weren't even sure, why are we assembling? What's going on? You know, we've got this uproar is going on in, this, in the cities and the towns. And some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him 
forward, and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So again, this shouting and great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You know, they were going to blame it on this one guy and he was a Jew and he was going to defend himself and say, no, it can't be that guy. You know, and, and now they're, you know, they're, they're defending their, their idol worship uh, in, in the midst of all of this. Now think, you know, put yourself in the, in the church's position. Paul's position. You're there. You're you're evangelizing. You're 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 trying to get them to repent, uh, and all this stuff. And now this uproar. And they're 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 now screaming for their 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 idol. You know. And all you wanted to do was preach. All you wanted to do was was uh, uh, get people saved. Right? So again, confusion here. Let's see. Verse 35. Now we have a voice of reason. Verse 35. And after quieting the multitude, the town clerk. Now the town clerk, we don't know if this was like a mayor or if this was, you know, whoever. Probably somebody close to a a mayor. He says, after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all, who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven. Now this is interesting. The image that fell down from heaven. Okay, just think about that for a second. The image that fell down from heaven. Verse 36. Since then, these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. So they're saying, okay, calm down. Don't you know we're one of the seven wonders of the world? Our temple of, of the goddess uh, Artemis, the goddess Diana, is here, and we're guardians of that. And this thing, uh, whatever it is, think about it in a sec- second, that, that they say fell down from heaven, they are worshiping. Just think about that for a little bit. He says, don't do anything rash. 37. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers or of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. He says, you brought these people here and they're really not to blame here. You know, these people that you're trying trying to accuse because Paul's not there. Verse 38. So then, if, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with them have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affair, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. Because remember, Rome had control of this area, and if they didn't control their city, Rome could come in and take charge. And so this guy in his wisdom says, hey, we need to calm this down. 
because this could get out of hand and it, it could turn out very, very bad for us. And then 41, and after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So obviously this guy, whoever he was, this town clerk, carried a lot of weight. People listened to him and he was able to believe in reason. He says, okay, this is, a, this is a dispute. This is a commerce issue. This is monetary. This is about business. And if they want to take this to the courts, the courts are open. Let them handle it. Let them do it. But let's don't tear our city apart. Right? Wisdom. Yeah. We should have this guy today. <laughs> Where is he? Go to Ephesus. He's there. He's there. So, I'm going to read this 35 again. Verse 35, and after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? What is that? Satan. Huh? Satan. 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 Well, yeah, it's an occult. But remember... People worship things they don't understand. Right? They worship things they don't understand. Uh, sun god, moon god, whatever I told you, mistletoe, all that stuff. They don't understand it. They end up worshiping it. Uh, they didn't understand how a woman could be pregnant. I don't know why a man couldn't be pregnant, but a woman can. You can understand how all that happens. So they, they worship that. So anything they didn't understand, they worshiped. Now, something fell out of the sky. And they had it and they were worshiping it. Meteor. Could have been. Very well could have been. Some of the commentaries say we don't have it, but there are uh, some older references to the fact that a meteorite came, fell down and it was in a rough image of a female. And so they took this as this is the goddess of, you know, because it probably had a little, might have had a little protruding, uh, I don't know. And so at some point they had that in that temple. That temple was destroyed. I forgot when it was destroyed. Some wars. I don't know if you know when, when it was, but that temple was destroyed. It was there's just a shell of it there now. So the artifacts and whatever was was there. So again, if you think about it, you're there whether it's daylight or especially in the nighttime and a meteorite is coming through the sky. That is going to light up everything. That is going to get your attention. That thing is going to land. Everybody is going to show up. They're going to look at that. They don't understand it. It came from heaven. It came from where the gods are. So therefore, we're going to worship it. It's a gift from the gods. So a little line like that would be that, you know. Uh, so thoughts, questions on that? So that's not 100%, but that's kind of the feeling that most likely that's what that was. Fell down out of heaven. And we know uh, it wasn't an angel, it wasn't a messenger from God, it wasn't any of that stuff. So the only other thing that could fall down out of, out of sky would be a meteorite, because there was nothing else up there that could that could fall. Right. So, chapter twenty. It's one to five. 
And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. By the way, when you see this, when he left on his journey, he goes this way, like this, and he goes up like this, and then he backtracks like this, and then he goes back, and he comes around. So from a distance, you can't quite see all of that, but that's where it is. He's going to come up over here, and then he's going to come back like this. That's what we're going to be talking about in a second. So, uh, verse 1 again. And after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and given them much, much exhortation, he came to Greece. So in other words, wherever he was finding disciples, wherever he was finding Christians, wherever he was finding churches, he would stop and encourage them. And, you know, people he'd probably seen on his journey before. And so he was, you know... Probably a lot of those people he was staying with, you know, on the way when he would go from town or village to village or however it was. Verse 3. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by a bunch of guys there. I'm not going to pronounce their name. Uh, uh, they were all from Asia. and uh, But these had gone ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, which is right here. So Paul's over here. They went ahead and were waiting for him here because this is where he's going to set sail from. He set sail right here. So he come through here. Take the princess cruise. Fifteen-day <laughs> <laughs> right? okay. cruise from... Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. So, verse 6. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, one of the uh, feasts of Israel. And And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Trojas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. So from Philippi, they set sail. Took them five days get over here. You know, this is this is probably a few hundred miles, but you know, we're not talking about a motorized ship here. We're talking about sail ship. And, and, you know, so it, uh, uh, it's probably about 400 miles, maybe maybe a little more. But that's where they are. Maybe four and they come to there. It takes them five days. And you stay seven days. Yeah. Um, it says the days of unleavened bread, so they were still adhering to the Jewish there's no reason there's no reason not to thank you good question good point the Old Testament in Numbers and in Leviticus tells us about seven feasts of Israel okay and I believe it Leviticus 23 and listen all together let me check it real quick make sure I'm right I don't want to say it and be wrong Yeah, Leviticus 23, they're all listed there. It starts with the Sabbath and then Passover, unleavened bread. By the way, Passover is a two-day festival 
and unleavened bread is is the day before they're 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 linked together, and I'll, I'll explain it in a second. But then it goes to unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, but they're all listed there. But it, it, it to, to to answer Adrian's question, it says in there to keep these as a memorial statute and teach them to your children for generations to come. So in other words, we're supposed to because the the feasts tell a story of what God has done. Okay? And so, for example, unleavened bread. Unleavened bread tells the story that they left Egypt so quickly that they couldn't take any of the anything with them uh, and to make leavened bread which is fluffy you would take some of the old dough from the previous bread and you would mix it with the new and that was the yeast. You, you didn't go to Albertsons and buy yeast because there was no Albertsons. So you, you, you had to do it with the old, the old lump of dough. Well, unleavened bread means that for, for the first few days when they were out there, all their bread was flat. And so it tells that story that God brought us out so quickly. Unleavened bread tells that story. Passover tells the story of the last of the of the, of the plagues. That if you're if you're under the blood of the lamb, uh, that night death would pass you pass you over. And so uh, there's going to be a connection here with this in a second. So unleavened bread. And so yeah, they were still celebrating the feast. They they still kept them. And remember Jesus Himself. We have several scriptures where He's in the temple during those times. So, you know, that's why I, I try and tend to te- teach them or, you know, if you've been here, you know, I've done Passover seders and, and, and things like that because I, I believe we are supposed to teach them. We are supposed to know them and uh, celebrate them to a point. So, uh, so yeah, they, they were still doing that. As a matter of fact, if they were in Jerusalem, they were still going in the temple because, again, there were no buildings. That was the only official place they could go, but they were worshiping Christ. They weren't worshiping the other stuff. That was what they knew to do. Okay. So, uh, verse 7. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. So in other words, he started preaching and when the sun was up and he kept preaching until midnight. You know, and there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Verse 9, And there was a certain young man named Etychus sitting on the window seal, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, fell down from the third floor, and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, fell upon him, and after embracing him, and said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and departed. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. The boy fell from the third thing. Paul went down there, fell upon him, and said uh, he is he is alive, and they were comforted by this. But this is a miracle that happens there in Troas. Okay, um, verse thirteen. But we, going ahead of the ship, 
set sail for Asosus, intending from there to take Paul on board. You know, it says, but we. Who's the we? Well, who's writing this? Luke. But we, going ahead of the ship, set sail, intending from there to take Paul on board, for thus he had arranged it and intended himself to go by land. He was going to go by land. Why? Because he wants to visit all the churches. Right? And when they met at uh, Asosus, he took the hymn on board and came to Midilene. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we crossed over to uh, Samos. And the day following, we came to Miltus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. Here, rather than make a stop, he decides to just keep sailing on through here. Because remember, he's already been at Ephesus, but there's a reason here. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because he wanted to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, this gives us a time frame. Pentecost means 50. The day of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So that tells us about how long it would take to make that trip by sailing ship. He wanted to get back to land and take the journey to Jerusalem and be there so he could celebrate Pentecost in the temple. Okay? That's why I'm going to hold it for right there. Thoughts, questions on that? Now, just as a historical thing here, uh, peace. A couple weeks ago we talked about he spent 18 months in Corinth, right? Chapter 16 and 18. Then he went back to Antioch and then he went on his third missionary journey. And during that time he spent three years in Ephesus. And during that time he wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. See, we don't really realize how long he was in Ephesus because we just kind of read through it. But he was in there. He was there that long. But he writes 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. Um, 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to go into any detail on it because after I do Romans, I'm going to do Corinthians and then the others. But 1 Corinthians, um, basically, he, was, he writes a letter to them to admonish them about idol worship. And to not have any uh, 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 false teaching come into the church. And then he also admonishes them against the fact that they were following their favorite teacher. Barnabas or Paul. Because he says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Barnabas. They were, the church was fragmenting because they were following their teachers. you know. And, and uh, so he kind of pulls their chain on that. And uh, so he writes that letter to them. And the reason he can write that letter to them in a, in a personal nature... He spent 18 months with them. And then 2 Corinthians is, he gets a report back from Timothy that most of them have repented of what they were doing 
and uh, he, he tells them how happy he is uh, with them. But there's a small fraction of people still there in Corinth who now challenge Paul's authority. In the back part of 2 Corinthians, Paul does what he hates to do. He talks about himself. And, and, and he, he talks about how he was a Jew and, his, and, and how he was uh, on the road to Damascus. You know, he talks about that. Then he talks about uh, uh, his ministry and, and, and all of this. And then he pulls out that one thing that the other apostles can't say. That Paul says, I was saved. See, they were saved by Christ while he was here. He says, the Christ that I met on the road to Damascus was the risen, resurrected, ascended, is seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. So he, he tells him that. He says, that's who uh, my authority comes from. And so he uses that. And, and, and he, he doesn't like to talk about himself. That's the only place where you really get him talking about himself, except for the end of Acts where he has to defend himself against uh, to the uh, governor and stuff like that. And then Romans is Theology 101. That's why so when I, we get through with, with, with Acts, I'm going to go straight into, into Romans, because Romans is, is, this is Christianity 101. I mean, it's just full of stuff. When you read Acts, when you read Acts of the Apostles, a lot of it's narrative, it's history. We get some bits and pieces of theology, but when you read Romans, it's just, it's all theology. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing. And this is what we should be doing in relationship to what God is doing. And it's just it's just chock full of, of if you want to know how the church should run, what it means to be a Christian, uh, what it means to be saved, and how we're saved, why we're saved, it's all in Romans. It's just a it's a gold mine of, of, of theology. It's theologically rich, is what I would say about uh, Romans. So that's where we're at. Next week we're going to kind of finish up this where he returns from his uh, journey and then after this the next 10 years of his life the last 10 years of his life are going to be he's under arrest released arrested and then he's sent to Rome to plead his case before the uh, governors in in Rome and that's where he ends up dying roughly in the year 67 and uh, in the year 67, he was converted roughly in the year 34. So his ministry is how long? 30, a little over 30 years, 33 years of ministry. And in that time, look at all the stuff that he did in those 30 some years of churches he visited and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, Paul's going to Rome and winds up in Rome and all this. John the Baptist was in Rome. Is he ahead of him or was he after him? John the Baptist? No. No. No, he never, he never, he never went. John the Baptist was, was linked was to Christ. Beheaded? Who was beheaded in, in Rome? And that's where they built the church. Wasn't that John the Baptist? Uh, they think that Peter was was uh, uh, was, was uh, impaled upside down yeah. on a cross in Rome. Okay, that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Is he before or after this? Right, Roughly right around the same time. The book of Acts doesn't tell us. So we don't, we don't get it. All of a sudden... But they're, they're after this point is where all of this stuff happens. And so the, the prevailing theory is that between 66 and 67 and about the year 70, 
all of the original, uh, except for John, all of the original um, apostles are martyred. And, and Peter, uh, supposedly Nero, was the one who uh, uh, did it to him and paled him upside down on a cross and then uh, lit him on fire. That's that's the uh, thing on that. But it was Peter. It was Peter. Okay, Peter. that's who. I got Peter. the wrong person. Yeah, Peter and then later uh, Paul. They don't even have any real definitive on exactly what happened to Paul other than the fact that he was uh, killed in Rome. He never came out of house house arrest. He's in house arrest, but it, it's pretty much what it says. He's in house arrest. He's not locked in a stockade someplace under ball and chain. He's under house arrest, so people come and visit him. And these letters that he writes, he uses his time wisely while he's there. He writes all of these different letters, and then He's able to hand them out, and they take them out. So they're able to come to see him and, and visit him and stuff. But he's under house arrest. I mean, think about it. He's, he's in a house arrest for over five years, waiting to see the governor to plead his case. It's like they just, they just they don't want to deal with him. They're just keeping him, you know, injustice, right? So, um, yeah. And then in the year 70 is when... Um, Rome just turns on uh, Israel and just uh, ransacks the country, kicks the Jews out, uh, destroys the temple. Uh, that's why now all we have is the Temple Mount, because in 70 AD they destroyed all of that, took it all out. And so, uh, but at that point, that's what really forces Christianity up into Europe. Because the temple's no longer there, so they're not going to be trying to come back for Pentecost or those other feasts and stuff because the temple is where now? It's here. You know, theoretically. So, um, yeah. So, uh, good point, though. Any other questions? On this? Okay. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, so we're just going to pick it up right from here next week. So, basically, we're going to be getting into after this is Paul is being on trial. Paul's going to go on trial in 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 uh, a couple times in uh, in uh, in Israel. He's going to go on trial before the Sanhedrin. He's going to go on trial uh, before the Roman governor there, and they're basically going to ship him off to Rome and say we're going to let Rome handle this. And Rome doesn't really want to handle it. They just put him under house arrest and figure we can neutralize him there. He's not going to be out preaching as Jesus. But what they forgot to realize, he's writing letters. <laughs> you know, so his ministry continues. His ministry goes out that way. So, we good? Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord God, again, we just thank you for this week, this time, Lord, for being with us. Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Acts of the Apostles. We thank you for... The knowledge we receive, but Lord, also application, Lord, the marching orders. Lord, you call us to the cross, but you also send us from the cross, Lord, to go out and witness and be your witness uh, to the ends of the earth, Lord. And so in this time, Lord, that we're facing our, in our lives, Lord, help us to uh, uh, find your plan and synchronize with you, oh God, what you are doing and what you want us to do, Lord, as we preach the gospel. Lord, so Father, we just thank you that you watch over us, take care of us, 
And Lord, we just give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. See you guys Sunday.